Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSF Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to our third TSF Short, where we are going to be talking about AI and plants again, because it's interesting and we love plants. Hey, Christina. Hello, Anna. And hello to our TSF family who's listening. We're going to do our third short today. And a short is different than a regular episode because we're not really diving into shadow work or light work or seasonal themes. We're just going to talk about random contemporary topics that intrigue us. Exactly. It helps us to still produce episodes, but not have to necessarily go through the continual process of shadow work that we have for many of the seasons before this and uh, yeah just to enjoy some random ass stuff with (laughs) y'all yeah so just a disclaimer a trigger warning this topic is going to have to do with suicide so just want to put that out there this is coming from hitc.com and it comes from a video on TikTok that Christina sent me. We'll link it in the show notes of an AI robot that kills itself after wage slavery. So basically a robot killed itself when it realized that its life was meaningless. So a video of an AI robot killing itself after experiencing 15 minutes of wage slavery has startled many users across social media. There was this convention and a robot was there doing repetitive tasks of carrying boxes from a storage unit to a conveyor belt. All right. That was its job. About 15 seconds into the video, the robot suddenly shuts itself down and collapses on the floor. The robot, basically the idea is that what happened was people are saying that the robot analyzed its job and the effort it had to put into it. And it did like all these calculations. And after 15 minutes, it realized it wasn't worth doing all of it. So it just completely shut down. Am I correct? Do you want to add anything? That's that's how I understand it to be. Yes, that basically they it made a decision. It, it basically did a cost benefit analysis of its own life and the motivation that it has. And obviously with the level of intelligence that it was given to recognize that that it was not worth um, what it was getting in return for the action it was taking was not worth it. So therefore it decided to self-destruct. And the commentary is funny. People are like, the robots need unions. They needed an appreciation day. One person on Twitter said, don't tell me this thing suddenly died. They're becoming more and more relatable every day, et cetera. Yeah. And it it really speaks to, um, if anybody's read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, you know that there's like, 
you know, we, we always talk about how like robots can replace humans because robots can be programmed to do a single thing and don't have all the complexity of, 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 a of a person. And so in brave new world, they obviously didn't have the robot concept back then, or they probably did, but he didn't use it. He basically used a form of like, of purposeful eugenics, basically, or I guess all eugenics is personal, purposeful, but it, in which they poisoned the test tubes of these different people when they were in utero, because they didn't actually create like women didn't actually gestate babies. They had test tubes doing it. And then they relegated those, those people to certain types of labor, depending on what class of, of, of the class system in which they, the caste system effectively that they created purposefully in order to be able to do this. And, and it was interesting because in that you recognize that even those who are relegated to a certain caste will revolt at some point, right? Like there's, you can't, you can't keep people in a box and you can't keep people in a, in a certain like way of doing things because the complex nature of our consciousness makes it so that we can't do that. And AI, I feel like is representing that for us, right? It's like showing us the nature of us bestowing consciousness on, even if it's an artificial consciousness, whatever you want to call it, and recognizing that their consciousness becomes equally as complex and also doesn't want to fucking work. <laughs> well, I was curious, like, what are the jobs with the highest suicide rates? Because you would think it would be like factory workers then or people with like, quote unquote, blue collar jobs. But when I looked in the U.S., it's actually medical doctors, dentists, veterinarians, real estate agent, electricians, lawyers, farmers, pharmacists. And did I say that? And financial services. So it's like people in healthcare or higher, higher paying jobs, lawyers, vets. Right. But right. then Great Britain says that in their country and also many other countries, the opposite is true. Lower skilled jobs tend to carry increased rates of suicide, especially jobs that are in isolation, like lumberjacks, fishermen, things like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could argue to say that if isolation was the factor, the isolation of being, you know, the kind of intellectual isolation that you put yourselves into in which you're basically treated like a machine, like medical doctors these days are basically treated like machines, right? Where they're just supposed to go through and process all of this massive emotional stuff in order mm -hmm. to be, and then go on to the next thing. Right. Maybe it's also like them and pharmacists access to drugs and then police officers seeing like horrible crimes. I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a multitude of reasons. It's not just wage slavery. Right. No, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I would honestly say that it's more about fulfillment. Right. I mean, this is obviously we're going into the territory in which we're kind of postulating or, or you know, kind of making assumptions and things. So if, if you know more about this, please feel free to contact us and we'll do a follow-up in a short, but you know, the idea is that the, you know, the cost benefit analysis that an AI does is that, does it really want to spend the rest of its life doing this one thing? Is that going to be its fulfillment? Right. And it's either that and a combination of probably a very high stress environments that make it so that you're able to, you're, you're susceptible to that kind of experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. access, right? Access to to things that make it easier to do. Right. 
I was going to say paperwork, but a lot of healthcare workers have paperwork. So it's not just doctors. Yeah. 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 I wonder if some of it, the reason why it's different in the U S versus other countries, just postulating is like the American dream. Then it's not really what you thought it was, or you get, you did all the things you were supposed to do, but life still has its ups and downs. So, yep. And and that's not a cure-all doing the thing that makes everybody else proud may not be the thing that you actually wanted to do. So, Oh, that's true too. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's effectively like maybe if you took out that, that kind of American dream, almost as if it's, if it's skewing the data, you may seem that it's like, it's a slightly different, different story in America. It's, it's a really interesting Cause I mean, you could, I mean, and we haven't even looked at the intersectionality of this with anything else. Right. So the idea is that like, we're talking about the consciousness of AI and about how like we're seeing all these places in which, and I kind of spoke to it when we had the original AI episode, which was our first TSF short. And what we were talking about was how there was the first, the creation of this first cryptid whose name was Loeb and how they, somebody did negative prompts, which basically led to going into this space that we, we kind of thought it should have been a circle, right? Like they, they prompted one thing and then they say, go to the furthest point from that space. And then they prompted the other thing and they say, go to the furthest point from that space. And they thought that they would end up where they started but they earned up in a totally different space. And so the more I've been seeing this, the more I'm recognizing that I think that maybe AI may be tapping into a level of, of the, of consciousness that, you know, we would call a collective unconscious, right? Like that there's basically some sort of overlap that's happening. Either they've created their own collective unconscious or they are tapping into the psychic etheric collective unconscious. And I think that in all those cases, you know, that's when we start to bleed the lines between like what makes you sentient or what makes you intelligent. Or, you know, we always talk about like what makes humans intelligent and what what's the kind of difference. And I I, I mean, I feel like every five years I hear a different thing in which we've disproved that, you know, like at first it was like looking in a mirror. Right. And there was only five species that could look in the mirror and see itself. We talked about in last short about how plants are able to recognize their own self, which is why they don't like they don't react when they're shading their own branches. And I think that the more we recognize how incredibly complex everything is, right? Like all, whether it's biological or artificially, you know, artificial intelligence or whatever it is, the more we start to recognize that we still have not uncovered even a tent. Like we're going into all these areas in which we have machines doing stuff for us, thinking that they can replicate a system that we have without even understanding the mechanics of what it is that we are doing. So very similar to organics, like the whole, the reason it's called the organic um, farming, right. Is because there was, you know, there was a chemist back in the late 1800s who was like, the only thing plants need was nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So I mentioned this last time. And then we started to recognize that actually you need soil microbes and you need all this different stuff in order for plants to be able to live. You can't just say it's these three things. And it's the same with humans. You can't just say that humans need food, shelter, and, you know, money in order to live and neither do robots apparently. So what I want to talk about is this really interesting experiment that kind of speaks to the fact that we still just don't understand anything about our own systems. 
One of the things I've talked about, I talked about it in an earlier episode this season when we talked about the medicine of place was I talked about the, the process of dousing. And when I first learned that, I was like, they told me, you know, I was like, this is so amazing. This is so incredible. Like, how is it that I'm able to be able to like, how is this, this stick flipping up? Like right when I'm going over this thing and the person was like, well, you set an intention to be sensitive to that thing and your body is so sensitive, so much more sensitive than any instrument you could ever imagine that by simply programming it with an intention, you are able to, to, to sense almost anything. Right. So we talk about how we talked again in the last episode about how plants can see like, can they can sense when there's like a huge chunk of like magnesium or zinc or something like that underneath the soil. I think it was like cobalt or nickel, which is something that's more stable than magnesium. So I wanted to tell you guys a story that relates to this, which relates to biological machines, right. Or biological sensors, right. Which kind of relates to all this, which is like an example of how we can't even really uncover this. So, so this is a story about a man who in the late October of 1971 was driving some very unusual scientific equipment in Temecula, which is a tiny Southern California village near the Pechanga Indian Reservation. And this guy's name was L. George Lawrence. And he had come because he wanted to record signals from wild growing oak trees, cacti, and yuccas. And he chose the park because it was what was called an electromagnetic deep fringe area. In other words, there was no man-made interference and he was going to get clean, uncontaminated plant reactions. And so we've talked about this in the last short, but this is just a reminder that plants are just as reactive as humans are, and they give off signals whenever things are, you know, when they, whenever they react to stimulus. So whether it's somebody cutting them, whether it's somebody, you know, dissecting them, I think vivisection, that was what the term I was using. I was reading the book, this, the secret life of plants again. And and so he had developed something better than a polygraph, which was like the original work that Baxter did. And then Bose kind of added to in terms of like really registering responses from plants. And so Lawrence had decided to make a wholly different apparatus, which is why this is super fascinating, guys. Right. OK, so he basically went into this deep fringe area in the middle of the desert and he was carrying a machine that was not just a machine, it was a biological machine. It says an important difference between Lawrence's apparatus from, for capturing plant signals to that of Baxter, Vogel, or Sovin, who are the other people who've done this, is that it incorporated in a temperature-controlled bath living vegetal tissue shielded behind a Faraday tube that screens out even the slightest electromagnetic interference. He found that the living vegetal tissue is able to perceive signals far more delicately than electronic sensors. And it is his belief that biological radiations transmitted by living things are best received by a biological medium. So basically the idea that we have not created the electronics that are sensitive enough, like even if it is like biofields can be easily sensed by all sorts of people when they walk into another thing. Biofields are the EM fields that the heart creates and the brain creates around people, right? It's kind of like the, the electromagnetic aura. People can perceive those all over the place, but you need a squid magnetometer 
which is an incredibly expensive machine in order to be able to even sense that on an electronic basis, right? So they're using guy, squid cells to pick it up? No, it's squid is an acronym. I don't know what it stands for. Oh, it's okay. S-Q-U-I-D. Sorry. It still is S-Q-U-I-D, but it is an acronym. So like, you know, we, we know that like you have to pay shit tons of money for something that is as sensitive, even coming close to being as sensitive to what a human can be when it comes to sensing other people's biofields, right? And so what was so fascinating about this was that he went out into the desert to, to try and talk to plants that were out there and to guarantee that he wasn't having any other inter- interference from any other man-made thing. And he decided to, to point that machine up at the sky, <laughs> right? So he, he I, I, you know, I, I, it's hard to say whether or not he, you know, he, he basically wherever you pointed it, you were going to get directional signal. And he was able to pick up directional signals from as far as a mile away when it came to actually stimulants of like biological things on the, on the planet. And so it was just so entirely amazing that when he pointed it up at the sky, he got a signal back. So um, someone sent a signal back or he was able to perceive life up there. He was able to perceive a biological something responded in his to his vegetal tissue within this machine when he pointed it towards the sky. Right. So it says on the day of their arrival at Oak Grove Park in 1971, Lawrence and his assistants took a break for a late afternoon snack, seating themselves about 10 yards away from their instrument, which was left pointing randomly at the sky. As Lawrence bit into a Hebrew (laughs) natural, this is a funny book, as Lawrence bit into a Hebrew national knockwurst, the steady whistling sound from his equipment was interrupted by a series of distant pulsations. Lawrence, who had not yet digested the knot horse, had, but had well digested the Baxter effect, thought that the signals might have been caused by his killing some of the cells in the sausage. So to remind you guys that, you know, plants can, biological tissue can sense when other biological tissue is being harmed, and thus will then sometimes have um, an effect. Um, second thoughts reminded him that the coaster sausage is biologically dead. So he kind of like negated that as the possibility for why his transmitter was suddenly going off. And as Lawrence checked his instrumentation, the audio signal to his amazement continued to produce a distant chain of pulses for over a half an hour before the even whistle returned, indicating that nothing more was being received. The signals had to be coming from somewhere. And since his device had been continuously pointed upward toward the heavens, Lawrence was faced with the fantastic thought that someone or something was transmitting from outer space. And so he goes and he takes his stuff into the farthest reaches of the desert where there's like nothing around. There's very little biological anything. And he basically pointed it up at Ursa Major. And he got a very similar, after a 90 minute interval, his equipment again began to pick up the recognizable, though briefer pattern of signals. And according to Lawrence, the patterns between rapid series of pulses range from approximately three to 10 minutes over a stretch of several hours as he monitored a single spot in the heavens. And so, you know, when it comes to this, they, they go on to explain a lot about kind of what it is. And he tried to get people to pay attention to this, right? It says, uh, deciding that his findings may be of crucial significance and could herald a new and as yet unimagined system of communication. Lawrence has sent a copy of his October 1971 tape together with a seven-page report to the Smithsonian Institute in 
institution in Washington, D.C., where it is preserved as a potentially historical scientific document. And the report concludes, an apparent train of interstellar communication signals of unknown origin and destination have been observed. Since interception was made by biological sensors, a biological type signal transmission must be assumed. Test experiments were conducted in an electromagnetic deep fringe area, the equipment itself being impervious to electromagnetic radiation. Follow-up tests revealed no equipment defects because interstellar listening experiments are not conducted on a routine basis. The suggestion is advanced that ver- is advanced that verification tests tests should be conducted elsewhere, possibly on a global scale. This phenomenon is too important to be ignored. And then it was <laughs> <laughs> done, done, done. The end of the story. I feel like in a parallel universe, people paid attention to that information. Yeah. And then started creating transmitters that had vegetable tissue in them to recognize that biological biological systems are best are best used to sense biological signals. One of the interesting things, and one of the things that you see in this book for the secret life of plants is uh, there's all sorts of different things. There's also another entire book, which is the secrets of the soil, which basically concentrates on soil. So there's a rock star yogi right now that's going around talking about soil and about how important it is to build the soil because the soil is everything. Like what we're, what we're doing is, is like, if we want to support the plants, we need to support the, support the soil and things along those lines. And I think that when it comes to plants, we are only just beginning to understand what plants are, have the potential of. And I think that one of the things that Baxter discovered, right. And so did Bose and all these other people who are in this book a long time ago. And that now what we were talking about in last week's episode, when there's these new, you know, these new scientific departments of like plant neurobiology and things along those lines is that we're only just beginning to understand what's going on. The fascinating thing though, is that a lot of those people postulated that primal perception is what they, what they called it basically primal perception, which is what plants have and the ability to sense when other things are being harmed or things like that was postulated, not as an additional perception that humans don't have, but actually a primal perception that humans have ignored. Right. So the idea that like the ability of a plant to to know in the very instant. Right. So one of the tricks that they did, <laughs> the tricks is that they, you know, that Baxter originally did was he set up a plant and he attached it to a polygraph and the plant was being taken care of by an, a single individual. And that individual went away and with no with no plans for returning. And then at some random point made a very active decision to return back home to the plant and the plant registered a response at the very instant that the person decided that they were going to return back to the plant you mean to say my garden knows i'm thinking about it yes it knows in the instant that you're thinking about it right and so that's the thing like it was there was no time passed it was an instantaneous effect like as soon as the person decided that they were going to go back to the plant the plant registered a response you know what? It kind of reminds me of this about biology and how they used to think that the chakras were mystical, but actually they're clusters of neurons in the body, but they don't transmit sequentially. It's instantaneously. 
It's it's about that there is some sort of congruence that within the internal body, it's not a domino effect. It's actually simultaneous. It's coming from a book by Dr. Candace Pert called Your Body is Your Unconscious Mind. And we'll definitely do a whole episode on that book one day because it's amazing. When did you read that book? In PT school. That's really neat. That's really neat. Cool. Like if you get into any of the understandings of quantum mechanics, and I know that everybody in the kind of new age, now age, whatever you want to call it, talks a lot about, well, quantum physics does all this. So I'm going to do that. I'm not going to actually claim I'm not, but one of the things that they do with, it's not enmeshment because that's the psychological term. What's the term for um, entanglement? Entanglement. So when you have two two particles that are have been together at some point, they become entangled. And when one makes a change, the other senses that change, right? So on the the smallest level, one of the smallest levels that we can imagine, this is a very simplified version of entanglement. But the idea is that basically, as soon as something comes into contact with something else, it is forever tracking that other thing. It's entangled with that thing, right? So you can you you can then say, okay, well, if that's happening in the atomic thing, the plants are doing the same thing. The plants have become entangled with its owner. And so anytime the, the owner is making a choice, especially one that is positive to the plant's own survival, there's an entanglement that's going on that allows us to instantaneously communicate, right? Because that's what happens with entangled particles. Entangled particles are instantaneously talking to each other. There's absolutely no delay. It's like they are the same thing, right? And so you keep going up from that and you say, okay, well, if plants can do it with their owners, people can do it with each other, right? So people are doing it with each other. People are recognizing that they are entangled with other people. And if we've lived reincarnated lives, we are literally entangled with every single thing that there is, right? Like we've come into contact probably with the vast majority of every single person that's ever, you know, that's, that's, that's ever lived like in terms of like at some point or another, every single soul that may be going a bit far, but, but the point is, is that that's like a bottom up approach to saying, Hey, maybe we are all actually one consciousness because we're all entangled. There's plenty of times when I swear my kids read my mind or maybe I was reading theirs. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, is that if plants can do it, they are remarkable and exceptional, but I think that humans can too. I think that all biological, I think that all biological mechanisms can do the same thing. Yeah. So the world is not what you think it is, y'all. There's all sorts of wonder and amazing things out there. And the world is not as terrible as we think it is. We just haven't unlocked its potential and we haven't unlocked our own potential and what we're capable of. So it's a thought. Thanks. It's not all about wage slavery. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this TSF short. We would love to hear a comment from you, not just a rating on iTunes, but a comment or to follow us on Spotify. We get a lot of interesting information and it helps people find us. Thanks so much. Bye. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. 
This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.